Regular listeners know that I'm a big fan of mountain biking at night, and having a reliable bright light is crucial. Glowworm is a mountain bike light brand founded almost a decade ago by two mountain bikers in New Zealand, and today the company offers some of the most customizable, highest quality bike lights on the market. Glowworm's complete line of lights start at 1,200 lumens and range up to a blinding 3,400 lumens, all at reasonable prices. There are a few things Glowworm does differently that makes their lights unique and highly customizable. The optics can be swapped at home depending on the types of trails you ride, and their lights use standard GoPro-style and quarter-turn mounts. Many of the lights work with a bar-mounted remote, which can be used to control one or more lights at once. Right now, Glowworm is offering 20% off all light systems on their website with the coupon code SINGLETRACKS19. Go to glowwormlights.co.nz, that's G-L-O-Worm, L-I-T-E-S, dot co, dot N-Z, or click the link in the show notes to take advantage of this offer. Hey everybody, welcome to the Single Tracks Podcast. My name is Jeff, and today my guest is Remy Metallier. Remy is a professional mountain bike racer who competes in both downhill and free ride competitions around the world. He also posts skills videos and ride reports regularly on his popular YouTube channel. Thanks for joining us, Remy. Yeah, thank you. Thank you so much for having me. So you got interested in mountain biking and downhill racing specifically at a really young age. How important has that been to your development as a professional mountain biker? Well, basically growing up, uh, so I'm born in 1990, and the sport of downhill around 93, 94, 95 was getting really big in the south of France, mm-hmm. mainly because we had Nicolas Vouillaz, Loïc Bruni's dad, so Jean-Pierre Bruni, uh, Fabien Varel, and a bunch of other really fast guys yeah. that were from basically where I'm from, mm-hmm. like just a few kilometers away. And so the sport was going on TV. It was on the newspaper. Because uh, obviously at the time, Nicolas Vouillaz in 95 <laughs> was already, I think, five-time world champion. Wow, yeah. So he was kind of like, you know, the uh, local legend. And uh, so uh, obviously I'd see the sport on TV. And I've always wanted to uh, to do it. Mm-hmm. The Rock d'Azur, uh, which is, you know, basically a mini uh, Eurobike, mm-hmm. uh, was close by my place. So I was going every year. Oh, yeah. And I could see, you know, the bikes and... And so, yeah, I've always wanted to do it. That being said, I haven't been able to to properly mountain bike before I was uh, 16 years old. Oh, okay. Because, you know, obviously it's, it's really expensive. Right. And if your parents don't support you when you're under, <laughs> when, you, when you're still a minor, yeah. there's no way you can afford a bike. Right. So I basically started super late. But in the meantime, I've always wanted to do it. So I've always, like, followed on TV and, and you know, but the new, but the you know, the local magazine. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I've only started quite late actually. Yeah. And yeah, that, uh, that was, uh, that was great just to be able to do, you know, the same and <laughs> what my idol were doing, just, you know, yeah. going on a bike and, and doing jumps and stuff was uh, extremely fun. And, and so, yeah, I've, I've started actually quite late, much later than what people think. Yeah. Interesting. Well, you know, you said you were born in 1990 and that downhill in your region of france was really big in 93 to 95 so that means you were like four or five years old at the time that you started being interested in it that that seems pretty early yeah my dad was uh, my dad was uh biking like purely for fun and uh so you know he was into mountain biking but like cross country okay and it was it was really for fun he never like competed or anything it was just just him and his friend 
but at the sport at the time the sport was getting really big uh, and really popular so it was you know kind of that new sport yeah that everyone was trying and uh, so yeah I've seen my dad obviously mountain biking and but what I've always wanted to do was uh, was Daniel I think it was like uh, basically is a go-to sport for me mm-hmm. but yeah so I've seen that like quite young I guess it was like 90 I remember in 96 for my birthday my mom actually uh, sent a letter because at the time images didn't even exist <laughs> to Nicolas Vuillos and telling him that and that was for my sixth birthday so that was 96 mm-hmm. and I asked him basically for for an autograph and he sent me back a postal card oh wow with like a picture of him from uh, at the time when he was in GT for when he was riding for GT bikes, so I think that was like up to ninety six, ninety seven. Yeah. And uh, and yeah, with a little word and stuff. So yeah, I've, I've always been really passionate about it. Yeah, that's really cool. What did you? I mean, you said at sixteen, that's when you you really got to get into the sport, got your first mountain bike. Were you? That's when I. That's when I got my first proper mountain bike. Proper mountain bike. That's what I was going to ask. So you had bikes between. You know, when you're four years old and 16, just not a proper bike. Yeah, exactly. Cool. So nowadays, do you see yourself as a downhill mountain biker with style or do you see yourself as a free rider who can go really fast? Huh, that's a good question. <laughs> I never I never thought about it. I guess I like to go. I think I'm more like, uh, well, I, I like to ride efficient more than anything else. I think I'm just like a mountain biker that, you know, likes to go fast. Yeah. And even though I don't. I actually, I've never really liked to go that fast. <laughs> uh, speed has never been my uh, my strength. Mm-hmm. I prefer to. Uh, I don't know. I'm just I'm just looking at um, having fun on the bike, and just ride efficient and smooth. And uh, yeah, the speed where I have the most fun is the speed where I can't crash. <laughs> <laughs> right. Basically. Yeah. The speed where I don't take any uh, useless risk. Yeah. Interesting. So what do you think about the new Red Bull Rampage qualifier, the Proving Grounds? You competed in that this year. How did that go? And, and what do you think about the new format? I honestly disagree with the format. Hmm. I believe uh, Red Bull Rampage should be, you know, it's, it's obviously, is, um, you know, the top of the sport and, and, and it's the top riders. I think the qualifying by videos in the past was good and was fair to everyone. Yeah, you didn't have to travel to one single event, and you could be creative because at the end of the day, Red Bull Rampage, you, you just have a mountain and then you can be extremely creative. Mm-hmm. You don't have to do stuff. There's no jumps or no lines that you have to do. Right. You are free to do whatever you want, and so on a video you could do the same. You know, there's no rules. If you can show that you belong at Red Bull Rampage and you can ride a free ride bike, then you earn a spot. Having that qualifier is, you know, it, it was a good intention from, from the organizer to yeah. kind of open up the sport and give opportunities. But in my opinion, it's not like it was not a success. All the guys who got an invite obviously deserved it. No one got an invite and, and you know, you're like looking at the name and be like, <laughs> right. well, that's, that's kind of weird. Right. How did he get in there? Yeah. All of those guys deserved it, obviously. Yeah, but it is really different. It's a really different format. It, but yeah, that's the thing. It's it's really different. Like to me, it felt because I had to ride like a pre-made course. It felt like I was a sprinter, and in order to qualify for the 100 meters at the Olympics, I had to run a marathon. Right. Yeah. Like I felt like it was a different sport. Like hmm. you know, obviously, tricks is a big part of front page nowadays, and you know, I don't have any tricks really. Mm-hmm. 
I, I mean, I can do some, but it's just <laughs> nowhere near the, the other guy. Yeah. And it's not what I want to be doing anyway. It's not what I enjoy. It's, it's not what I enjoy. So I kind of felt like, yeah, it was it was a bit unfair for some people. Yeah. Interesting. You know, now it's, like the features were very slop style. Um, there was no, nothing technical about it. Uh, that being said, it was a ton of fun. <laughs> well, that's good, at least. Yeah, I had a great time riding my bike uh, down there. It, it was, yeah, I'll definitely do it again. I, I had a great time. Do you think that'll change the character of the actual event of Red Bull Rampage? Are you going to see more slope style type moves and, and athletes in the event going forward, assuming they stick with the, the proving grounds? Yeah, yeah, for sure. I mean, another one thing is that the builders get better and more efficient every year. So the quality of the building has just improved a lot yeah. uh, over the last four or five years. Because the first time I went was in 2015. So right now it's 2019, so five years later. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's been like the progress has been unreal. Yeah, Everyone is getting uh, much better at building as well. Mm-hmm. And because you have a set time. Right. You know, before you could not get every landing perfect. Mm-hmm. You could not build every landing perfect. But nowadays, everything is basically perfect. Right. So that opens like, you know, more opportunities for a rider to just land tricks on every jump. Right. It's it's less of sort of a technical competition than it is a, a, an acrobatic competition. Well, yeah, like for, for a rider like me, that's going to be good at, you know, riding gnarly raw terrain, like supernatural, mm-hmm. uh, where like breaking control is key. Like there's not really any feature or anything that's, you know, really... That I that I really see challenging uh, at Rampage, like I, obviously everything is exposed, and it's more like yeah, doing that line is easy. Well, not easy, but you know, doing that line is is accessible, and you know I'll do it no problem. But there is a sixty foot cliff at the bottom, yeah. which is you know then you're like, well, if I was making a mistake and it would be in a bike park, I'd be fine. Yeah, but yeah, if I was to make a mistake, that, that'll go really bad. Right. Well, you mentioned challenging features, challenging trails. What was the time when you would say you were the most scared on a bike? Well, I guess Rampage. Yeah? I guess Rampage, yeah. Not because of the feature itself, just because of what's around it. Hmm. I don't really remember I don't really remember any feature at Rampage that, uh, that I've done that was like a real challenge. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, a, a jump, obviously, because you don't know until you jumped it. Mm-hmm. Obviously, with the experience and, you know, you, you do like all that process of like risk management and you go when the wind is good, when the conditions are good, when you feel good on the bike, when everything is set up to be successful at it. Yeah. But at the end of the day, you have to do it. Sometimes you have to rush mm-hmm. because, you know, you don't have time or, you know, the light starts to go down or whatever reason. Uh, I guess Rampage was definitely, you know, the place where I got the most scared, but it was never really about the feature itself. It's what's around the feature. Yeah, interesting. And it could be sometimes it could be the wind. Yeah, like I remember last year, standing up on a on like a, a little drop I had that was like I'll do it on my trail bike with an open face helmet and no pads. But because it was windy and just a little bit windy, if I was gonna make a mistake and just lose my balance, you know, I'll get badly hurt. Mm-hmm. And and it was just a tiny bit of wind. I was like so frustrated because normally I would not even hesitate. Right. But because it's windy and because there's nothing around, there's no trees to block the wind. Mm-hmm. You know, I've, I've done similar stuff, similar lines in, in Squamish, 
where there is wind around. So even if it's windy, like it's not, it's just never bad because the wind can block. Yeah. Uh, like so, the trees can block the wind. Uh-huh. But at Rampage, there's none of that. And the wind for me has definitely been a huge issue. Yeah. Dealing with it because it's a parameter that you don't control. Right. You control the, um, you know, if the dirt is wet, slightly muddy, you can adapt. Uh, you know, you can adapt your riding. But once you in there jumping, like there's little stuff you can do to counterbalance the winds. Mm-hmm. But at the end of the day, it's, it's a bit, uh, yeah you don't have enough control on it. Right. So, yeah, you can be super prepared. You can have practiced, you can, you know, have done all the right things. You're mentally ready, but yeah, there's factors like that, like the wind that you can't control. And I could see how that would be, that would be really scary. Yeah, exactly. So what types of injuries have you dealt with over the years? And, and do you have sort of tips for recovery that you can share with people? Uh, like the, the biggest one I had was uh, I fractured my back in 2016, mm. end of 2016, and I like badly compressed and cracked my T6 vertebra, Ooh. which is in, in the middle of the back basically. But I recovered extremely well from it. I don't feel ever any issue with it. Wow, that's great. Um, but I've I, I haven't skipped any step. I really did exactly what the surgeon and the doctor told me. Mm-hmm. I've, yeah, I've been extremely eating super healthy and uh, I've been going a lot to the gym after. Yeah. Uh, and I was, fit, I was fit before as well. What did you think at the time that it happened? I mean, did you know how serious it was? or? No, as soon as I touched the ground, I knew it was broken. And the pain wasn't that bad. The pain wasn't that bad at all. And But I knew I, I had heard the noise. Like I heard basically the vertebra crunched. Mm. And... Um, yeah, so no, I've been extremely like I know obviously how bad it is because it's uh, close by the spinal cord. Yeah. So I've been extremely serious with it. It's my biggest fear. So yeah, I've been um, yeah definitely been extremely extremely uh, careful with that. Yeah, good. So you've also done a number of urban downhill mountain bike competitions, like the one in Taxco. So how is that different from like a more traditional downhill race? The track doesn't change as much hmm. uh, because obviously it's pavements. Right. Uh, this one thing you don't control is like the human aspect <laughs> and the dog aspect on the track. The dog aspect. <laughs> yeah. And this is really tough. I actually did a race couple uh, last week, actually, I guess, or a couple of weeks ago in Colombia. And uh, I took the start and every single lap I've done, I actually, I actually posted a video of it with the guy who won. Uh, which is Matt Walker. Uh, so we did a run together, and I think we've done like eight laps before finals in total. Maybe not like six, seven. Anyway, we haven't done one single lap without any issue. Oh wow! Yeah, we always, you know, either a dog, a person, a car. Uh, there's always something on track. A car. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> and so during finals, uh, during quali. I got a couple of dogs and a person that just crossed in front of me that I almost uh, that I almost smashed. Oh man! And uh, during finals, just at the start, like within five or six seconds, while I was sprinting, uh, a dog crossed, and literally a couple of seconds after that, a woman and her kid uh, just like started to walk like really close on the track and didn't see me. And so yeah, to me that was it. So I stopped. I basically kept on riding, but. I, like I stopped racing because just the risk wasn't wasn't worth it. It kind of sucks because I feel really comfortable going fast on that. Mm-hmm. But those are stuff that I do not control. Right. 
Yeah. And so I was just like, yeah, it's it's not worth it. But other than that, it's basically the same than a regular uh, downhill track. You you walk the track, uh, you look at the lines, you know uh, where to push, where to take it easy. You know, you manage the risk. Obviously, there's some section where you can, you know, go fast and take risk and it's worth it. And there is some stuff where it's sketchy, where you would not want to take a risk. Mm-hmm. So you're just going to ride smooth and precise. And, you know, you know where you have to pedal, where you have to rest. And, yeah, it's a, basically the same approach than a, a downhill course. The only thing you don't have to, usually you don't have to worry about the weather mm-hmm. and you don't have to worry about the line uh, changing because right. obviously it's pavement, so yeah. it doesn't change much. What's the energy like there? Is it is it more exciting than a regular race, just having people so close in on the course and just sort of all the excitement of being in a city? Yeah, yeah, definitely. And, uh, it's it's really cool. Like you bring the sport directly to the city, mm-hmm. and there's thousands of people watching it. You know, it's usually more than on a World Cup. Yeah, I've seen the World Cup of Leger, which was very crowded, but it's you know you still get more people usually on on your Bananier race, especially a race like Valparaiso yeah. or Taxo that has been going on for years. People are really used to it, mm-hmm. so so that brings a lot of uh, a lot of public. Yeah. Very cool. So you've ridden all over the world and you've lived in Whistler now for several years. But I'm curious, what is your favorite place to ride your mountain bike other than Whistler? Hmm, that's a good question. I actually, um, there's many places where I haven't got to. Uh, I went to Ore, which was really good in Sweden. Hmm. Alfjell was really fun. I definitely want to go back. If I had to go in holidays for bike riding right now, uh, I'll, go, I'll go to Les Portes du Soleil. Okay. Because I've only been this year for the first time. And I had to stay in Neger for a bit. And I've only done one day in Morzine and one day in Châtel, uh-huh. uh, which were incredible. So I'm really looking forward to, to go back. Yeah, that's surprising that, that you're French and you, you haven't ridden those places a lot. Well, basically, so when I was in France, I, so I have a, a business and marketing degree. So that took me a lot of time. <laughs> not enough time to ride bikes huh yeah and so i had to i was working one day a week in addition of my studies to to help make some uh, some money mm-hmm. and so yeah i was riding very little and i had either i could choose between you know going for a week while i was studying in the port du soleil and ride with my friends or i could save some money to come to whistler yeah <laughs> so yeah i looked at the at the bigger picture and i was like well, if I, you know, save some money, I can I can spend a full season in Whistler, get a work visa, and uh, work and ride every single day in Whistler. So it was it was pretty easy for me to to make the decision. Awesome. Well, speaking of Whistler, in 2013, you set the record for the most days and laps at the Whistler bike park. That would be a thousand laps in 111 days. So, what made you decide to do that, and what did it take to actually make that happen? Oh, I've never, I've never tried to, I've never tried to set a record or anything. It was just really you just you were just riding that year and yeah, I was just riding. <laughs> wow, every every single day basically. I don't think I had any day off. Wow, that's incredible. While I was in Whistler, because I also rode other places at the time. I went a few days to um, what did I go? Silver Star. You know, I guess I'd done a day in Squamish and Pemberton, but every single day where I was physically in Whistler, mm-hmm. I've ridden the, uh, the Whistler Bike Park, I believe. Wow. 
got your money's worth for your pass. <laughs> what did you learn after doing that? I mean, did you did you find that your skills really improved by riding the same trails over and over? Not that much, actually. I was actually, as soon as I got there, I felt like pretty comfortable. Mm-hmm. I had more experience with, you know, the terrain, uh, you know, the dirt, the roots. Obviously, I knew better the lines, you know, and then everything becomes automatic. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, the speed for every jump. Well, it's obviously well built. So you don't even have to think normally. <laughs> you know, if you flow with the trail, you get the speed right for the jumps anyway. But yeah, obviously, I was I was knowing every. It's just like when you go on the racetrack and you've done eight laps down the track and you have analyzed it. Mm-hmm. You know, every single, you know, you know, basically every single rock and route. And it felt like this with every trail, really. So obviously, I was more knowledgeable and I, I was mostly fast because I knew everything by heart. Yeah. But in terms of skill, like, it's just good to work on your body position and work on, you know, how you should be riding your bike. Like think about breaking before the corner and your body position, your pedal position, you know, your bike settings. You you just get so much knowledge from riding that much that obviously you progress. Yeah. Which trails did you ride the most? Uh, probably a line and dot machines. Yeah. And at the time I was riding a lot Schleyer. I was riding a lot of tech the first year actually. Are there any trails you think that you didn't ride that year? Or did you did you hit them all many, many times? There's definitely a few trails that I've done, you know, one, once, twice. Yeah. Uh, but then, then I didn't really come back. <laughs> I kind of changed, like, in between the years. Like, I remember one year I was doing a lot of tech, and the next year a lot of jumps. Mm-hmm. Kind of depended, you know, what I was trying to what I was trying to do. Yeah. I remember in 15, and especially in 2016, I was doing a lot of tech. I guess I was I was bored of just doing jumps. <laughs> right. And then, uh, yeah, nowadays I do a lot of tech, but on my trail bike. Oh, interesting. Not as much as, yeah, not as much on my downhill bike. Kind of keeps the downhill bike for jumping. And uh, I actually spend a lot more time now on my trail bike than I do on my downhill bike. Yeah. So why why are you doing that? Is that for fun or is that you using that for practice? No, purely for fun. Uh, like I have more fun riding a trail bike. Yeah. Basically, uh, yeah, I, I have more fun. I, I mean, I discover more places. You know, you pedal to the trailhead. I feel I always have a great time on the trail bike, mm-hmm. whatever are the conditions. On the downhill bike, you know, you have expectation to ride to a certain speed. Yeah. And if the conditions aren't right, if it's wet, if it's slippery, or if the trail is not in good shape, or, or you know, if the trail is not as interesting as you thought it would be, mm-hmm. you kind of like, I feel like you you put your expectation too high with a downhill bike of always going fast. Right. Uh, whether with a trail bike, because it's more playful. If it's wet, slippery, or if, if, if the trail is not what you're expecting, it, it's easier to play around and you have fun differently. You don't need the speed aspect to have fun. Right. Which I, which I really like. So sometimes I can ride my trail bike on a kind of a slow trail and, you know, I just, I just ride it like much slower than I could, but I play much more with the bike than I do with a downhill bike. Yeah, interesting. So I guess that's the reason why I like it. Yeah. Uh, and I also like the riding of trail bike more, like less suspension, you know, less forgiving, lighter. Yeah. So, um, yeah, so, so I do, I do love the trail bike a lot. Yeah, cool. So how do you, how do you actually practice though for free ride competitions like Red Bull Rampage? Is there... I actually don't. You don't <laughs> practice? You just, you just show up? No. <laughs> yeah, the first year I showed up, the second year as well. <laughs> No, I've never actually done any free ride anywhere else. Really, I had never really done a big drop before. I mean, the biggest drop I had done was probably in the bike park. Wow. 
which would be something like five foot. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, no, I've never, never really done like any kind of free ride before. Right now, it's definitely what I'm looking for though. So I'm going to go back in March or April and, you know, I want to do proper free ride. Mm-hmm. I ride like super raw stuff and that's really what I enjoy. Mm-hmm. But before, no, I hadn't practiced anything really. Wow. That's incredible. So, I mean, how did you know you could do it? Well, I've I've always felt comfortable riding like technical stuff and jumps. And so, you know, like doing um, a 20-foot jump or, or, or like uh, even an 80-foot jump is not that much difference. As long as you know the speed, which was the biggest, uh, which was the hardest part for me, like for big jump was to know the speed because I was just not used to do big jumps. Right. Uh, so it was uh, kind of tough to get the experience and the knowledge of like what speed you should be riding at. But on a drop, I actually, I mean, I have case that Rampage won one jump once mm-hmm. and, and didn't crash. But on a drop, I've never messed up a drop. Yeah. Ever, wow. I think. <laughs> that's That's amazing. You can't really, I mean, depending on the drop, you can't really, you can't really mess up. If you're comfortable with your skill and your technique, depending on the style, on the style of drop, especially if it's like if you're going downhill. So if the takeoff is downhill and if you can spot the landing at all time, mm-hmm. it's uh, it's easier to to know the speed right. What's hard though is that until you've done it, sometimes it's really, even though if you can imagine the speed, mm-hmm. uh, what can be really tough is to commit and do it because you know if you're gonna come short or long it can go really bad especially at especially at rampage because every single drop is you know above 20 foot basically yeah so that's uh that's you know why it's why it's challenging right so you've competed in red bull rampage three times now what's been your proudest moment in the competition oh i guess i guess the first year uh because you know i came with absolutely no expectation and I was just riding. It was really tough because all the lines were taken. It was at the time where you had 40, 42 people or 40 people who competed uh, in quality. And my line was, I mean, all the top part. <laughs> yeah. Like the first 10 seconds were common to everyone. And then I had my own part for, you know, 15 seconds. Mm-hmm. And then the bottom part was the same uh, for everyone else. Mm-hmm. For like for, for, for a lot of guys coming from the Canyon Gap. So, yeah, it was... It was definitely like I had no expectation at all, and I just felt extremely comfortable. Yeah, like I really felt it was. I've done a lot of laps. I like I had no stress whatsoever because I was really comfortable doing it, and at the same time I was really disappointing because I was not pushing outside of my comfort zone. Yeah, but like I felt my line was too easy. I was too comfortable riding it. Yeah, and I knew I could have done, you know, much earlier. The thing though is that you didn't have any space to, to build something earlier. And also I didn't have the experience building something earlier. Mm-hmm. So I could have write something much earlier, but I'm not sure at the time I could have built yeah. something earlier right? because I just didn't have the experience. Yeah. It's hard to imagine being comfortable though. I mean, you say, you say that you, you felt comfortable. Um, I think, I don't know that any of our listeners can imagine that being comfortable. It seems very, very scary and like you'd be very nervous, but yeah, that's that's cool to hear. So has social media and YouTube specifically changed your approach to the sport over the years? Well, not really. Like I've done, like it's never been a goal of mine to be a professional mountain biker. Like it's, it, it just happened and it's like, I'm, I'm extremely grateful for it. With social media at the time, when I, when I started, it was just to basically show my family what I was doing. Mm-hmm. 
and it was just you know a good way to show people you know what I was doing as more like hey I'm in Whistler and and this is my experience and you know fully to inspire more people to like a lot of my friends at the time to come and do the same and then when I saw that I could have like some kind of impact uh you know I've tried to do it as professional as I could mostly because at the time I was still trying to look for a job in the bike industry and in addition of my uh studies and my professional work experience I wanted to have on my CV you know my personal experience as a mountain biker just to show that as well as you know what I could do in what was written on paper with my study I could also ride a bike which I believe is extremely important if you get a, a job in the bike industry it's important to you know know that you can properly use the product and <laughs> right and you know have some kind of experience outside of just you know walking mm -hmm. because you know it's an industry where people go because they like it right so I believe it's I believe it's important and so I've tried to have like a very professional image uh, because at the time I was looking for a job basically mm -hmm. and then I've and then I've continued because obviously it's as you know part of the duties of being a, a professional mountain bike athlete you have to use social media yeah because you know even if you win races or you know are a really good rider if no one knows about it right you have absolutely no value for brands yeah did your do your sponsors encourage that or was this something that you started doing on your own no i've i've started doing it on my own and it's anyway it's a, it's a requirement <laughs> yeah like you you have to there is no there's no way you, I mean, you could still be, I mean, I don't know, you could have a guy tomorrow that win Angel World Series or, you know, World Cups. And that's not on social media, but his value for brands will be much, much, much smaller. Yeah. Yeah. Do you enjoy doing that part of it? Producing content and, and marketing and that sort of thing? Yeah, I do. I mean, that's what I studied. And I do... What, but what I enjoy the most is, you know, leaving a positive impact for people. So like doing, you know, educative content or just motivating people to go out and mountain bike and, you know, do something that's good for them is, you know, what I enjoy the most. Yeah. So, yeah, what kind of content do you have on your channel? I know you do some trail reports where you'll go out and ride a trail that people are interested in. Um, you also mentioned skills and, and personal uh, interview style content. Yeah, what, tell us a little bit more about your channel. Yeah, basically right now on um, you know on YouTube, uh, what I focus on are trail previews. So basically, it's a way for me to give back a bit to the community and produce informative content for people. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, whether people are going to ride the trail or not, uh, they can learn from it. So they can learn tips. Obviously, they you know they get good riding, and they get entertainment from. You know, just having two people who ride and have fun, but they can also get tips on, you know, why I'll do a specific line, uh, you know, about bike settings. I talk about it, uh, you know, why why I like a certain kind of product, why I like certain kind of tires, mm -hmm. why I picked up a certain line over another line. And, uh, and just people can get through this video more experience and more knowledge. And then they can apply themselves. They can apply that to to their own writing and hopefully learn from it. And then uh, I also provide like more like specific content about like you know how you set up your bike. And in the future, I will have a lot more videos on my channel 
in order to you know provide you know quality and informative content for people on on really specific topic yeah it could be like risk management it could be just about tires it could be just about suspensions yeah just uh and i basically take the ideas from what people uh give me yeah your community of of subscribers and people on on social media that's really cool yeah i read the i read the comments and uh, <laughs> i try to not read the comments on on our social media sometimes they can be they can be kind of rude no actually that well uh, on mine fortunately they uh, like it's it's really really positive that's great uh, i mean the percentage of like this dislike is like 99 percent, which i think i believe is is higher than the much higher than the average yeah uh, normally i just try to you know whenever someone has constructive comments i you know obviously look at it and i try to you know pro like i try to use it in order to uh, create better stuff for the future so it could be someone and say hey i really like your video but i wish you could you know maybe explain a little bit more about this subject on your next video and well on the next video if possible obviously you know it's not always possible uh, but when possible, I try my best to, uh, you know, satisfy a request. And, and I believe if someone has a feedback, someone else also must have it and just didn't request it. So, Yeah. How many videos are you able to post every month? Uh, I guess about four or five. Okay. Yeah, four or five troll previews is something I really enjoy doing. And I feel like people really associate me with the idea nowadays. Right now, I have like quite a lot of trails I want to be doing. Mm-hmm. Uh, the issue I have is the weather. <laughs> yeah, that's what I was going to ask. What are you going to do in the winter? Well, in the winter, I can do more informative content on stuff that's less riding focused. On the trail preview, because it's uh, basically a POV video, I mean, I can ride if it's wet, mm-hmm. but when it's dark, uh, the GoPro doesn't quite keep up. So it's it's kind of, it's kind of challenging. Uh, but the, the biggest challenge is if it's raining, you know, I basically get raindrop on the camera, and and the content is is pointless. Yeah, I can I can ride, and you know, like the speed difference is not, you know, on some trail we just ride the same speed pretty much when it's wet. Uh, I've I've ridden a trail with with a friend of mine a couple of days ago, and it was really wet, but basically our speed would have been the same than if it was dry. Oh wow! So it still would be extremely entertaining for people. Mm-hmm. But it was quite dark, and if it's raining, there is no way I can I can provide a, a quality video. So right. unfortunately, I have to wait that uh, that uh, the sun's out. Hopefully next week. Yeah, <laughs> cool. Well, what else do you have planned for the rest of 2019 and for next year? Well, for the rest of 2019, not much because it's already we're already end of October. <laughs> right. Uh, so there's two months left. I'm just going to, there's two more Urban Daniel races, I believe. Hopefully one in Mexico, one in Colombia. Oh, cool. I might go to Germany to visit Cube Bicycle and go back to France. If I do go back to France, I might take my bike and uh, and get a, a couple of uh, of rides. Other than that, not much. I'm just going to ride as much as I can before the winter really hits. Uh, hopefully produce more trail previews. I have a few that are that are already done, but not posted. One especially that's that I believe really good, and I have three more. But the quality of the video is not at the standard I would like, uh, just because it was dark and the video was a bit shaky, and it's definitely one of the comment p- people had. 
that uh, you know the shakiness of the video was was an issue. Um, the issue though is that when you ride in British Columbia uh, in the fall, it's it's really dark and and bumpy. I mean, there's everything is just rocks and roots and keeping that. Yes, our double black trails, and I was riding behind Chris Kovarik, which won a World Cup in 2003, I believe, uh, with a 14, can't remember if it's 13 or 14 second, 14 second gap, uh, which is the biggest margin on a World Cup win. So yeah. obviously, Chris Kovarik is an extremely fast rider, and at the speed we're riding, it's it's impossible to you know to have like a really smooth feeling. <laughs> yeah, I could be riding with a gimbal, which I did on my last video. Uh, but if the trail is you know too hard and too technical, the gimbal gets too much on the way. Mm-hmm. So then I have to slow down. I can't ride at the same speed. So it's been a bit of a challenge, and I have the footage, but just the quality is not as good as I, I was hoping. So what I'm trying to do is to redo it. But for this, I need a I need a sunny day. It doesn't have to be dry because it will never be dry at this time of the year, uh, and it's okay if it's wet. But it has to be at least. Not really. And I don't know if that's going to happen, unfortunately. <laughs> yeah. So we'll see. Yeah. Good luck with that. But yeah, I'll have, I'll, I'll have plenty more. And uh, I will have also uh, a bunch of like, you know, really informative content and, and stuff that people haven't seen before, at least not, not on my channel. And I don't know if it's been done before by another mountain biker, uh, maybe in other sport. But uh, so, yeah, it's going to be, yeah, I really encourage people to, you know, have a look and, uh, I'm sure they won't be disappointed. Yeah, definitely. And yeah, we, we're sharing many of your videos on single tracks as well. So people can find them there and other media sites as well, I believe. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, it's, it's been really good. The bike, I, I guess the bike industry, I, I really like that content. And it's, uh, I believe, more relatable than the stuff I've done in the past, which were like bike park videos and rampage content. And it's something that honestly I love doing. So it doesn't feel like a, doesn't feel like a job for me. Yeah, very cool. I guess yeah, that's that's everybody's goal. Everybody wishes they could be doing the same thing. So that's great. Yeah, no, I've been super stoked on it. Yeah, awesome. Well, thank you for joining us. Uh, really appreciate you taking the time and and good luck to you with your channel and your all your competitions in the future. Yeah, thank you so much. Thanks for having me. And uh, yeah, see you on the trail. All right. Well, you can keep up with Remy on YouTube and also his Instagram, and we'll have links to both of those things in the show notes here. That's all I've got this week. We'll talk to you again next week. Mm